1: Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today.
0: Uh, Everybody, welcome on to another podcast talking with some some former Gamecock greats. Um, This week we're bringing on Tori Gurley um south carolina wide receiver for a couple seasons um played on south carolina's sec east championship team so uh tory thanks for kind of joining us and, and talking with us this uh today oh man thank you for having me yeah no not a problem um so obviously you know you played ball in, in the upstate at south carolina um rock hill so just kind of taking through the process of you deciding to come to carolina and what sold you on it
1: uh well the process was uh I mean, it was pretty hectic at the time because I, I was a, a non-qualifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really behind that eight ball academically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, Coach Simpson was from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I saw the impact he had on the team as well as Jonathan Joseph. Right. And, you know, they sat down and talked to him. And they're like, hey, once you get your grades together, you should come to South Carolina because Coach Spurrier, you know, we got something special going on here. And I'm um, just sitting back being able to watch. And initially when I when I was being recruited by South Carolina, it was uh, Tyrone Nix and Ron Cooper. Mm. And um, i never forget when I watched Sydney Rice play for the first time. they were playing against Kentucky. I fell in love with Sidney. Like I, I've watched him in high school, but when I was able to watch him in South Carolina, I was like, wow, I can see myself being that type of player. And from there, <laughs> I was, I really was a game cock since day one. And even though I was being recruited by Auburn and, and uh, Virginia Tech, South Carolina always had a, a, a special place in my heart.
0: And, you know, you look at that. I think your first season was 2009. Um, Correct. You look at that roster of, of wide receivers, and, I mean, it's not a bad group. With you, know, you had, you know, you and Jason Barnes and Alshon and Mo Brown. And um, just how hard was it in, in practice to try to chisel out some time for you? To, to see snaps during games how hard was that
1: it wasn't hard at all mm-hmm. and and the reason why I say that is because um, I'm a very competitive person right and I believed in myself from day one and you know, I was not uh, for some reason I was overlooked you know through you know Tony Morrell and all the guys at Gamecock Central and Rivals or whoever they were you know they had a lot of other guys that were in front of me and and I use that as motivation um, a lot of people don't know this but my first training camp at South Carolina, I had a depth chart that was over my head. Like, so every time I went to sleep, I would look at the guys that were in front of me. Mm-hmm. And i never forget each day I was just going through scratching names off the list until I became number one. And that happened, I think, the second scrimmage of the of training camp. Coach Spurrier came out and announced to the media that I was going to be a starter. So, I mean, just having that type of competitive spirit and drive, that's always – that, I've always been that type of person since day one, but something I had to learn how to do was be a better teammate. Right. And once I was able to, to learn how to be a better teammate and, and be a a, 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 just a competitor, we really, I mean, the wide receiver core was probably the strongest unit at South Carolina at the time because we had some bullies. We had guys that were 6'5", over 200 pounds, and we were playing like linebackers out there. And that was something that we brought to the offensive side of the ball that created opportunities for Marcus Lattimore to to really flourish I mean when Marcus we took pride in when Marcus broke through the line of scrimmage you know not letting the linebacker or a safety touch him. so you know that that's something that we were we were great at and Marcus was Marcus by far is the best running back to ever play at South Carolina because the workload this guy was doing at age 18 is just unreal you know someone 18 years old carrying the ball 30 40 times a game and we just took a lot of pride in making sure Marcus got every yard he could get.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I was looking at the box scores of that that Florida game from 2010, and he had like 40 carries. And I mean, it was, it was insane the kind of – I wouldn't say stress he was under, but just the fact that, you know, in today's kind of college football world, you really don't see guys get 40 carries a game. Is that something that you were kind of amazed by, watching him? I was, because yeah. I,
1: I thought – I was like, man, this guy's not going to be able to last – Entire season, you know, I, I was watching it firsthand and saw some of the. This guy, he didn't. Marcus did not shy away from contact at all. I mean, he was a pit bull out there, and I, I was impressed watching him just run the ball the way he did. His vision and the way he ran behind his pads, it I, it was so easy for uh, you know, for Coach Wolf and Coach Elliott and and Coach Spurrier to just design these plays for you know for us to really put a lot of stress on the defense. And once we realized that. Uh, the the defenses were crowding the box with seven and eight guys. It was leaving one-on-one for myself and Alshon Jeffrey just to have a field day.
0: Right, and with you and Alshon and you, two guys that aren't small human beings, was there any doubt when, you know, Garcia threw up a, a pass that you weren't going to come down with it? Did you ever think that you or Alshon weren't going to catch one of those 50-50? There, balls there
1: was never a bad ball. <laughs> and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people on television or – uh, I guess writers and reporters—they—they they felt a certain way about Garcia, but the things I've we've worked on in practice, and and what I've seen with my own eyes, with Alshon just plucking the ball out of the air, like I've seen this guy do some phenomenal things. And as a competitor, I wanted—I didn't want to be outplayed or outworked, so I was working on doing things as well. I didn't have the, the one hand catch radius he did, but I something I took pride in is in my last year at South Carolina, the ball never touched the ground.
0: Right. And you mentioned Garcia, but just what kind of teammate was he in? And how fun was, was he to play with, a guy that, you know, could kind of make stuff happen that, that wasn't really scripted?
1: Yeah, Steven brought it every day. I mean, he was – a lot of people felt – they had mixed emotions about him, but I knew Steven. He, he was a hard worker, and he loved to have fun. Like, he really enjoyed college football. Like, if, I'd rather have a, a college football player that – just, I mean, this guy, he could do it all. He could be the life of the party, or he could be the life of the huddle. So, just having that type of leader, and and going out and winning big games with him, I, I was so happy for him, because, you know, when we played Alabama, he went out and, and just, I mean, he, he played like a star. Right. I mean, this guy was, he outplayed Greg McElroy and a Nick Saban defense, and there were, you know, obviously, Marcus had big runs, and, and Alshon made big plays, but that all started with our leader steven being ready to roll when his number was called
0: and and kind of transition into that 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 alabama game obviously will will go down as one of the best games ever at south carolina one of the biggest wins ever just what was that like from a player perspective being on the field and kind of take me through what that was like for you and the rest of the team
1: Oh man, I can I can walk you through when uh Saturday morning we woke up and i uh, I never forget I was watching college football game day with Steven Garcia. Right,
0: because they, they were uh, in town, weren't they?
1: Yeah, they, they were in town and uh you know I never forget looking at uh Kirk Kerb Street and Lee Corso and Desmond Howard and those guys. They were up on stage and and it was time for Lee Corso to make his his game pick his winner and he decided to go with Alabama, so he takes the Alabama uh, mascot hillman and he puts it on and he says the pod is gonna roll by two touchdowns and i never forget looking steven garcia in the eyes and this guy was he was pissed i mean steven's <laughs> like you know what tory let's go stick it to him let's let's shake up the college football world mm-hmm. and uh i just remember get leaving the team hotel and looking out of the window and just feeling the atmosphere you know i saw you guys playing cornhole you know drinking beers the, the school colors on—I mean, the, the, it was Gamecock pride all over the place. I mean, it was—it really was in full effect. And when we stepped into that stadium, and I dressed out, I never forget. I looked over there, and I saw, uh, yeah, I saw Nick Saban, Julio Jones, Greg McElroy, and Mark Ingram. And a year before, you know, Mark Ingram won the Heisman off his performance when he played us. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had close to 200 some two hundred yards and three or four touchdowns. He he really played well. And that was, like, the game that uh, gave him the opportunity to beat the Osmond. So we just knew. We were like, you know what? We got something for these guys. Like, we, no one believes in us, but we believe in ourselves. And that first drive, we went out, and I think we converted on the fourth down, and we went out and scored. Game cognition took over after that. The stadium was so loud that the, the ground was shaking, and – Whenever I tried to focus and look ahead, my eyes were moving like rapidly back and forth because it was so loud, and my head was almost pounding. Like it, it it almost became like a, like a migraine type headache because it was so loud, and our emotions were so into the game. But once we were able to jump out with the lead, and and we realized that these dudes really couldn't compete with us because we out schemed them, out game planned them, and we had the same type of depth. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look at that roster from that twenty 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 2010 season there were over 25 to 30 nfl guys on south carolina's roster Mm -hmm. yeah but and that's the and um, and the same could be saying for alabama for nick saban's team alabama but we had the same type of depth they had
0: yeah i mean i'm looking at the roster now and even just on defense it's stefan gilmore and dj swearinger and Devontae holliman and antonio allen and melvin ingram and you know, even Devin Taylor then, and, and on offense, Stephen Garcia, Marcus Lattimore, Ace Sanders, Alshon You. I mean, it, it's insane. It was
1: over twenty NFL guys. Like, it, I go back and watch the uh, whenever they show the classic sports or whatever. Mm. It amazes me to hear all the names being called. And I was like, oh yeah, I played against them. Where I was playing against them in college, played against them in the league. So we we had the same type of depth, and it, it really it shocked the world, but it didn't shock us because we knew we had something special uh, that year. Right.
0: And, um, I know in in games like that and in upsets against a number one team like that, it's, it can get kind of real later in the game. How did you guys manage that on offense and and try and stay calm through what was, I mean, a, a really, really emotional game, like you just said.
1: Yeah, it was very emotional, but Steven was in the huddle. and He was cracking jokes. He was like, "Hey, man, beer's on me tonight, fellas. Like we, we had that type of confidence when we were calling plays, getting in and out of the huddle, and we kept looking at the clock. We were like, "All right, you know, it's six, you know, 7 minutes left in the game. You know, 6 minutes left in the game. Let, let, let's run the clock out. Marcus, we we got you. You know, whatever we need to do, Marcus, you fi- you find us. And Marcus, he re- he he really didn't talk a lot. Marcus was just he'd give you a head nod. And I will never forget just looking at Al he was all smiles. Like this dude was smiling the entire game like you know how you laugh at someone when you have an inside joke. It was something like that. Like the joke was on Alabama. Like, hey, we beat you guys, fair and square. So, and uh, I'll never forget in practice. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't know this, but in practice, uh, Stephon Gilmore and Alshon Jeffrey were always matched up when we did one-on-one drills. And Alshon uh, Steven dropped back through a, through a, a fade pattern, and Alshon, and he tried to catch it one hand, and he missed it in practice. Mm. And he laughed about it. And I was like, Damn, AJ, you know, go get it with two hands and he winked at me, he said he winked at me and said, Oh man, I'll get it in the game and literally the same thing happened. We uh we end up dialing up a fade route to Alshon and he catches it between his his uh, elbow and his forearm or something like that. Right. And and when we when, when we went back to the huddle he was like, I told you I was gonna get it in the game. <laughs> So there are so many like small stories that went into the week. Like I would take up all your time on your uh, on your phone or on your camera if I actually told you about it. Like it's so many small stories, but it all everything fell into place where we went out and we were victorious. And I just remember Columbia being on fire. We we went out and we ended up celebrating like we won a national championship. And that was a great thing for personal experience, but. That was a bad thing for us as a team because the following week we had a letdown against Kentucky.
0: Right. And, and you mentioned going on after. Just What was that night like for you guys as a team celebrating? Oh,
1: man, we didn't – I don't remember paying for food or, or, <laughs> or drinks like the rest of the year. I mean, everyone was still excited about it. It brought the entire state of South Carolina together and the city of Columbia. And it was just something we all got to experience at home. Right. I mean, those fans – They've waited many years for something big like that to happen, and and they end up giving the school momentum because I think later on in the year in basketball, South Carolina beat Kentucky when they were number one, mm-hmm. and then I think you know, the baseball team ended up winning the national championship. So that Alabama win really just it was it was a huge uh, uh, mo- you know momentum swing for the school of South Carolina.
0: Right. And, and it kind of propelled you guys, too. I mean, y'all ended up winning the East that year and go to the SEC title game. Oh, yes.
1: Like, once we uh, beat Alabama, we looked at everybody else on the schedule, and we knew we had the upper hand. And, obviously, that started, the. Uh, I think, the year before, we already beat Clemson, so we would just continue to add more wins to that. And, you know, I was part of the class that never lost to Clemson. Right. And, you know, that's something I hope those guys could get back and, and start doing. But, you you know, it, that Alabama win really triggered a lot of things for the university for the better.
0: Right. And, and now take me through that Florida game. I mean, you know, they jump out. They have that kickoff return on, you know, I guess what, play one. Um, mm-hmm. And then you guys end up, you know, outscoring 36-7 to seven the rest of the way. And, and Marcus goes for 200 yards. And there's that famous photo of you walking off the field. Um, oh, yeah. Where, <laughs> we
1: were that, – well, that game there, um, there were a lot of guys on the team sick with the flu. Really? I was I was one of the players that yeah the flu bug it hit us because it was uh, I think that game was in November yeah, or like December November, yeah, yeah it was in it November
0: yeah
1: it was in November and a lot of guys got sick it it, it was so weird that uh, half of our team was sick so a lot of guys missed out on practice and I remember a couple times and spe- during special team drills we had to have like walk ons and and some of the reserve some of the backups. On the starting kickoff team because guys were just out, you know, getting fluids. And when we went down to Florida, you know, I just I, I remember I was like, I got to get it together. Like, you know, coach Coach gave me some time to, to relax and get my body right. But he said, Hey, when we when we show up on Saturday night, I need you. I need everything you got. So I just remember uh, going out there and obviously Florida return opening kickoff, kick, well kickoff return, and that didn't we didn't feel threatened by that at all. Because we knew we were like, hey, during the week we we had guys that were in and out of practice. We just knew once we got the ball on offense and settled down, we was going to be able to grind them out. And that's exactly what we did. Like Coach Spurrier had a great game plan. We went out and executed it. Um, Like you said, Marcus, he he ran the ball. The offensive line got pushed the entire day. We were just pushing, getting a lot of push. Receivers did a great job downfield blocking. Alshon had some big catches Um, right before the half a lot of people don't remember, uh, I ended up making a catch that put us in position to kick a field goal. And I think Spencer Landing hit one of his longest field goals in his career. Hmm. So there, there were a lot of things that uh, went into that game that, you know, we, we were ready. We were the better team. And it was great to, you know, went get that SEC East win. And when we got back home from the flight, I never forget showing back up at William Bryce and it was close to 40,000 fans outside congratulating us and I mean, we, once again, we were partying, so, you know, it was, uh, you know, the theme of that, win big games and party hard, and and that's what college football is about, you know, to go out and have those type of memories and, and then party in a responsible way, because we always are going to remember that. Like, I, anytime I talk to those guys, those are the stories that we talk about, is the big games and the big wins and, and how we was able to enjoy it with the fans, because the fans is what... If it wasn't for the fans, we wouldn't be out there. Like, I can't imagine playing a football game in front of ten people. Mm. But I can't imagine playing in front of 90,000 Gamecock fans. I mean, it's just – it's the experience of a lifetime, and it is so much fun. And I'm just happy we was able to do it right there at home for for the home team.
0: And you, you mentioned it a couple of times talking about Alabama and Florida about having Spurrier's game plan. Just what was he like in kind of those big games and – how did he kind of handle those moments with you guys?
1: Um, He was – honestly, he's been there like several times before, but he realized that he was one of the first coaches to do it at South Carolina. So he walked us through the entire process. And um, I remember Coach Spurrier Jr., he would sit down and talk to us about big games where he coached at Florida or when he was in Oklahoma with Bob Stoops. And he was so – it was so uh, – the way he explained everything, it was it felt like we could touch it, like we was living it and walking through it. So, actually, when we got to experience it, we were prepared for it because it was like, wow, Coach Spurrier really wasn't – he really wasn't joking. He wasn't lying about this. Like, this is how it really – this is how it goes. And he was like, you're just going to smile and you're going to hug each other. And you're going to – he said it's going to be the only time where you can – Grab your teammate and just give them a kiss, and everybody just laugh about it because it, you just you have that type of love and affection for one another because of the work we have put in starting in the summer, and it, it falls all the way until you know the, the championship season. And um, another person that I, I feel like doesn't get enough credit, but uh, Coach uh, Fitzgerald, our strength and conditioning coach, that summer we put in we we were one of the hardest working teams in the country. I mean, guys, we had perfect attendance for workouts we we will show up early and we will stay later and this coach it didn't matter we call him one two three or four o'clock in the morning he'll open up the weight room for us whatever we had to do to get ahead that's something we did and that's stuff I'm starting to see now with coach Dillman and coach Muschamp is they're all in mm-hmm. and you know and I felt like South Carolina really had a uh, a setback when when coach uh, Fitzgerald left because that same type of uh, blue collar mentality, it wasn't there, and you know, and that's when things started to kind of fall behind. But you know, Coach Fitz, he really did a great job of physically preparing us to go out there and impose our will on those guys. So when when we did face those Alabamas, the Georgias, the Tennessees, we went out there and we we were we were able to pound for pound, we were just as strong as them.
0: Right, and you mentioned. Coach Muschamp and and Coach Dillon, I know you spend a lot of time around the program. Just what have you seen from them, I guess, in the two, three years that they've been here? And and what kind of what you've seen from them excites you about the future of this program?
1: I've been around them so much. My uh, national TV debut, I went out and guaranteed that South Carolina would beat Georgia. So that's what type of impression they've made on me. And I, I don't do that loosely. You know, that was something that. I still believe in my heart because I watch the work these guys put in on a daily basis. And you know, this isn't this isn't one of those situations where I just show up and watch 10 minutes of somebody working out. Like no, they I've been there from the start of the day to the end of the day. And I'm and I physically I can physically see the 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 maturation in the players on how their body is developing like right in front of my eyes. These guys are getting bigger, they're getting stronger and they're they're football junkies. Like, they they eat, sleep, and breathe football. Like, that's all that matters to them is winning. And just being around those two guys, I think the school definitely needed that again because they're starting to get the the type of recruits that fit the scheme. It's not all about the amount of stars. Coach Muschamp know how to find talent. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go look at those guys who were, high draft picks in the NFL, a lot of guys weren't four- and five-star guys. You know, he was able to find a, a small safety in Earl Thomas, and everyone knows that Earl Thomas is one of the best safeties in all of NFL. So much him, he has an eye for stuff like that, and with him recruiting the state of South Carolina again and not letting these top players get out and bringing them to, to South Carolina, you know, that gives Dillman the, the players he needs to, to get them right and for these guys to go out and get big wins on Saturday.
0: And and I'm I'm glad you brought up the Georgia comments. Just um, that was your national TV debut, and and you go out and guarantee that. What made you want to do that? And kind of are you still backing those up now that we're five years still,
1: I still back that up. I guarantee it. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Georgia, they are a phenomenal football team. But they lost a lot of talent to the NFL draft, like a lot. Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, they're not showing up on Saturday to play against South Carolina. They are on their respective NFL teams. Between those two guys, that's 2,500 yards of rushing and 31 touchdowns. Um, Holyfield and 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 Swift, they're great running backs, but I don't think they're going to be prepared to be in that hostile environment the second week of the season because I feel like Georgia's still trying to find their identity. Right. They went out and played Austin Peay, and they did what they are supposed to do. They handled business, but now you're getting ready to go on the road and, and William Bryce, and this that place is going to be rocking. I mean, it's – Jake Frum is not going to be able to hear anything. They're going to have to do a lot of – he's going to be in the huddle. I mean, he's going to be at a lot of scrimmage, and he's going to have to do a lot of uh, hand signals. He's not going to be able to be in the huddle and talk because I'm quite sure Gamecock Nation, they're going to show up and show out. And watching – and having Brian McClendon now as the offensive coordinator, he having an entire offseason to know what type of talent he has, there isn't a lot of film for Georgia to pull – and to be like, okay, well, Brian McClendon likes to do this or that. They don't know. They never seen him as a coordinator. He's only been a coordinator for two games. Mm -hmm. But we watched Georgia, we, and I'm talking about as analysts and and the world, I watched Georgia, they should have lost to Oklahoma. Like, Baker Mayfield jumped out on them, and it was so many holes in that defense that, I mean, Baker scored at will. It was just, they couldn't couldn't stop Georgia's run defense. I mean, they couldn't stop Georgia's run attack. Mm -hmm. And... If, if Oklahoma does that, they run away with the game. And then in the national championship game, I'm sitting down and I'm still watching Georgia. They have Alabama backed up second and twenty-six, and they have a coverage bus. So it's there are a lot of things in Georgia where it's like, wow, like everyone think just because you made it to the national championship last year that you're going to get back again. And folks don't understand it's hard to repeat in any sport, but in football is especially because. The turnover is so crazy. You have graduation, and you have guys leaving for the draft. You don't have the same team. But South Carolina, on the other hand, all those all the players they had last year were young, and now they're just a year older. They're juniors, so they're ready for the big game. And I just feel like it's a great matchup, and I got to go with the home team on that.
0: Right? How do you think that that up tempo and I know they didn't show a lot of it this Saturday, but the tempo that, that we've been talking about and hearing about all, I guess, all off season is going to really impact. Kind of getting Georgia maybe out of place.
1: Oh yeah, Coach uh, McClendon did a great job of keeping it vanilla. Like mm. that was a base package. Right. There, there are a lot of fans out here screaming like, "Whoa, I like the offense." He hasn't even opened it up yet. Mm. Those were so there were vanilla plays, vanilla packages. I, I sat down, broke it, watched the film. I was like, okay. He really hasn't showed his hand yet, so I'm very excited to see what go, what happens on Saturday because they are going to play at a different pace, and it's going to be, a three, I think, a 3.30 kickoff on CBS, so it's going to be extremely hot. I know it's hot in Georgia, but I still think Columbia, South Carolina is one of the hottest places on earth, so if those guys are not conditioned and ready for that type of tempo offense, it, it can get out of hand fast, but I, I expect it to be a competitive football game, but I just think South Carolina makes the plays when they need to to get the win ultimately
0: and kind of transition now I mean life after football you spent some time in the CFL and, and some time in the NFL too and now you kind of settled in and, and are doing some stuff with the SEC network just what do you like about I guess being an analyst and being able to talk professionally about college football now
1: Um. yeah I was able to get I was, I'm a four year NFL veteran got my pension and went to the CFL I led the CFL in touchdowns my rookie year and you know I just woke up one morning and I started to realize that I'm getting older and my body just couldn't take the the, the wear and tear of a, a football season. Like I, I thought I was going to be young forever. and um, while I was in the NFL and the CFL every off season I would go back and, and work on my classes, work on my undergrad degree, because I did leave as a redshirt sophomore, mm-hmm. uh, something I knew when I was younger, I can always go back to college, but I can't always play football. So I wanted to max out my opportunity of playing pro for as long as I could. And, um, with that being said, I ultimately, I ended up graduating in 2017. And while I was, uh, while I was working on my degree, I was also working on life after football. And I woke up one I woke up one morning and I was watching Michael Strahan on Good Morning America and my mom was my mom told me she was like, Son, I think you should be on T V and I was like, mom, I don't want to do Good Morning America. She was like, No, you need to be on ESPN and we kinda joked about it at first and then she was like, Hey, when when South Carolina needed a, a representative to speak on behalf of the team, who were they were calling? And for the most part, I was the guy. You know, I was one of the One of the favorites that the media would love to talk to after the games because I was able to give in-depth insight on what you guys needed, content for you to write. Instead of giving you generic answers about, yeah, we're going to work hard and win, I was able to give you a little bit more. And um, I was able to transition that and parlay that into being an analyst. And uh, I reached out to the NFL, and the NFL gave me an opportunity to go to the broadcast boot camp. And it was over 1,000 guys applied, and they only select 25. And, um, I was selected and that was done in, uh, we did that in Bowling Green, Ohio. And it was 25. Some guys were pole bowlers. Some guys were just, you know, starters or whatever, but it was 25 great players. And I got matched up with James Brown at CBS. And when, when James and I went on air together to do our reps, we had a chemistry that I had with a Garcia or a chemistry I had with, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, we just clicked, right. and from there, you know, he, he reached out to a few people, and I was able to uh, get hooked up with ESPN, and I went on the Paul Feinbaum show, and you know, that's thanks to James Wolfe of the Charlotte Gamecock Booster Club. James Wolf was another resource I was able to use to get me in this position. So um, I started out doing reps with uh, the Spurs up tour, Will Muschamp, and we were at my first show was at a uh, Bank of America Stadium. And I went up there and had the Tory Gurley show, and Coach Muschamp got to see firsthand what type of analyst I was, what type of you know, how I was behind the microphone, right. and uh, he was impressed. And uh, Ray Tanner was there, the athletic director, and and the word ended up getting back to Harris Festides, Doctor Harris Festides, and it was like, let's get Tory on air. And from there, that's when the Paul Feinbaum show happened, and you know I was ready to go on air and make that guarantee that South Carolina would win because. I've been around South Carolina since, what, for the past two, three years. Well, literally when Coach Muschamp was hired, mm-hmm. I remember meeting him for the first time. So, you know, I just didn't do that just because. Like, it it, it was a lot of events that led to that. And and now, you know, being an analyst, is, it's pretty cool. You know, I get to watch the game. It, it, it's, I misplan it, but it still keeps me around it to where it's like I can watch it and be a part of it and, God still asks me for, for my help. You know, there are plenty of times I've talked to Debo or Brian Edwards or Jake Bentley where we just talk about life or, or they ask me questions about the NFL and I, and I give them honest answers. So, you know, that's one of those things that I don't take for granted and I work extremely hard and I look forward to, to being a, one day being a Hall of Fame analyst. Like, that's my goal. I didn't get to do that as a player. So I have all my, my, my effort and, and focus into that being one of the best to ever do it.
0: Um, that's all the questions I have, but we always like to end with kind of a, a, a rapid fire. So here, are, I guess just five quick questions, um, try to give the most honest answers you can. So, um, who was your favorite teammate to play with, um, at South Carolina?
1: Steven Garcia.
0: Favorite, uh, venue, not Williams, Bryce to go play at.
1: Oh, uh, I would say the swamp playing in playing in the swamp,
0: the g- Gainesville,
1: me- Gainesville, Florida.
0: I say good memories from that one, right? Oh yeah. Um, best player you either played with or or best I guess player that you played against during your career.
1: In college or NFL. Uh, college. Best player. Uh, oh man. God. Just I gotta go with. Um, man, honestly, watching Alshon Jeffrey every day, I, I watch this guy do some amazing things. So I, I'm. I gotta. I'm, I'm a, offensively. I'm going to go with Alshon, and uh, defensively, I'm going to go with Melvin Ingram, because okay. Melvin is a freak athlete, so watching those two guys on a daily basis, like, it's a reason why they're having phenomenal years in the NFL, like, super athletes.
0: And uh, final one, give us your best Steve Spurrier story.
1: Best Steve Spurrier story? Okay. Um, play, we're playing against Vanderbilt. And uh, for some reason, the ball kept coming to me. And I, I'm a pretty smart guy. Like whenever the ball keeps coming my way, I keep counting how many catches I have. So I'm, I'm catching. I'm like, okay, I'm at halftime. I'm, like, I'm at nine catches. I'm like, wow, you know, the, the ball is finding me. So ultimately, I end up uh, going out and we set the school record. Steven and I, he gave me an opportunity to set the school record for most catches in a game, or tie it with Kenny McKinley and, and Zola Davis. And I think Devo is also in it as well. So. Mm-hmm. I go out and, you know, things, well, I'm like, man, I got to, okay. You know, so the media uh, comes up to me after the game and they're like, hey, Tori, um, you know, how you feel about setting the school record? I was like, wow, like that's, you know, I, I was just kind of blown away that it really happened. Like it just, the, the game was going by so fast. And at the time, like Vanderbilt has always been our nemesis. Like they, for some reason, they play us tough. So we literally needed every catch to win the game. Like there wasn't like any – Garbage time catches where I'm just out there trying to stuff the stat sheet. Like these were like I had to convert third downs. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we, we in a locker room and everybody is having a, a great time and cheering and and coach gives out the defensive game ball and he gives it out to whoever on defense. And then I think Spencer Atlanta had a great day on special teams, so he gives Spencer the game ball and he last but not least, it's time for him to give out the offensive game ball. So he's out there and Everybody's like, TG, TG, you know, it goes to TG or I set the record. Coach Spurrier looks at me and he gives the game ball to Steven Garcia. (laughs) And I was so upset that I didn't get the game ball, but that was a life lesson that it taught me that you can go out and think you play the best you can play and someone might not think the same of it. So just keep working. And that's something that, i've always no matter who give me praise or tell me i'm doing a great job i just use that as motivation to be like you know what i just got to keep working because it might not be good enough for the next man and that was a story that you know it, that's what I, I had to use it that way to where it was like i, I see why uh, michael jordan or a lebron james they never get full of compliments because they understand they have to keep working like LeBron has three titles, and people still say he's not the best. Or, you know, Michael, Kobe Bryant has five titles, and you know he's still working to get six, seven, or eight. Or, or you know, Michael Jordan or Stephen Curry. You know, right. he's the best three point shooter of all time, but this guy still he continues to work, and that's what it taught me firsthand is that I always need to keep working no matter what.
0: Awesome. Well, that's it. Thank you, to Tori, for for coming on and, and talking with us today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No.